0: The Musical Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Baxi's Musical Podcast. If this is your first time here, welcome. If you've been here before, it's great to have you back. You're in for a real treat today with my special guest, the amazing... Thomas Walsh from Pugwash. Now, you may not know Pugwash and you may not know Thomas Walsh, but I'm going to tell you right now without exaggeration, Thomas Walsh is one of the greatest songwriters alive. And if it were just me saying that, you could say, yeah, right, sure he is. Except he is. Get a load of this. In 2015, Andy Partridge from the band XTC, which, as you know, is my favorite band of all time, was quoted as saying that Pugwash, at their best, are almost Beatles-like in their greatness. They are that good. Now, when Andy Partridge is able to hold you in that regard, that's pretty impressive. But that opinion is also shared by Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, Ray Davies of the Kinks, Jeff Lynn from ELO. That's the sort of praise that is nearly unheard of. In October of last year, I spoke with Thomas Walsh, the man behind Pugwash, and we spent more than an hour just talking about everything. And it was fantastic. In fact, so good that 10 months later, that interview would be my third highest performing episode on this podcast. Since then, I've had a chance to meet Thomas during his first trip from his native Ireland in years during a brief but intimate tour he conducted in the Northeast in February where he was literally playing in people's homes. He just finished performing a similar tour in the West Coast. And in the middle of it all, he just finished recording his eighth album a crowdsourced effort that he was able to record in part at Abbey Road Studios in London. It's his first album since 2017, Silver Lake, which was produced by Jason Faulkner, who's not only been on this podcast twice, he's also played with Paul McCartney himself. So if Thomas Walsh isn't Beatles-like in his greatness, he's doing his best to channel it. Now in this interview, we're going to talk about the new record, we're going to talk about the Beatles, we'll talk about performing, and a whole lot more all of which he's doing while resting in a hospital. Thomas is a passionate, hilarious, gregarious, opinionated, and genuinely humble man, but his songwriting gifts are profound and undeniable. Is he really that good? Yeah, he's really that good. And that's why it's great to welcome back my friend Thomas Walsh from Pugwash on Vaxi's Musical Podcast. Look at you. You look terrific.
1: I look like a new man.
0: <laughs> I have to say, this is the uh, the first bedside interview I think I've done ever. This is a, a first for me.
1: Well, I even, I, I get out of the bed and sat in a chair. <laughs> so how are you? I'm okay. I mean, I just, I, the good thing about this trip being is that I didn't, it didn't go on longer. Because I've had this, I have this condition anyway um and if it goes to the ends to the nth degree uh you have to ring an ambulance to get taken in because you can't breathe because your body fills up with fluid it's, uh, it's very rock and roll <laughs> i have this umbilical hernia that protruded all of a sudden a lot quicker and i kind of said okay you know i need to go to the doctor i need to push to the appointment forward and and so the, the handy just kind of said right just flew it in there and it's pushing it out so when the doctor saw it, he said he should come in and get i get trained um so I, it wasn't like i went in as an emergency case and got torn um so i, I i'm kind of i feel a lot better than i normally would good because good. When, when i go in normally and it was an emergency case as i said i would be literally drained because I'd be uh, so, uh, so it's not too bad at the moment. They haven't done the main procedure yet, which is the draining. I'm just on these high-powered diuretic, and they they've worked already. I mean, it's amazing. that The body weight goes down like three kilograms overnight. It's we
0: incredible. Sh- we should we should all be able to find a way to make that happen.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, so if only if only Acytes was fat,
0: <laughs> you know. But it's a horrible
1: little fucking thing. But, you know, it's, I, I always say this anyway, but, you know, all my fault if, you know, if when things go the way they do because of abusing, you know, and over the years I have, but there's been other factors that have come into it that are just unlucky as well, you know. So, you know, it's 50 I'm just, I'm just I'm just kind of I'm accepting it. What can I do? Yeah, I have liberty. Live,
0: so. Well, and and you're also like me, you know, over fifty. So that's when things start to fall apart, anyway. So, you know, exactly. there's and a, a lot going on there.
1: Years, yeah, just went three years over fifty. So,
0: oh, um, getting further
1: down the line, <laughs> but yeah, uh, and of course, typically you don't feel that, you know.
0: No. Yeah. You
1: know, age doesn't mean anything really. Um, I know loads of people say that when they're old, but it's only because it's true. You know, it really doesn't mean anything. Um, I still feel like I'm, sometimes I wake up and still think I'm 18 and I'm going to record some new songs in the shed or something. <laughs> and it's not like you're mad. It's just that it feels like only yesterday.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it's uh, it, it's funny because uh, around Christmas time, uh, well, actually it was a little bit after Christmas time, I made the mistake of exercising. Doctor said I should exercise, and I wound up being on a uh, – my wife and I bought uh, a rowing machine, and it was the biggest mistake of my life because I wound up shredding my knee after using it for about a month. And I said, well, that's it. That's the last time I listened to a doctor about exercise.
1: <laughs> well, doctors will always love us to exercise because it's it's the very easy way of, of them – not helping us in a way and you know it's and I, I agree anyway it's it you know a lot of it has to be up to us but sometimes when you go to a doctor and you're clearly my shape or my you know my get up <laughs> and they kind of go well have you ever tried mountain climbing and they go fuck off <laughs> For fuck's sake you know just you know read the room as they say read the <laughs> elephant read the elephant in the room uh, so, you know, I, it's just, you know, it's not even like it's never too late to do X, Y, and Z. You know, you see 90-year-olds jumping out of planes. But, well, you know, it's great. But well, it's, not, it's not like that for all of us. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, that's where the genius of the doctors needs to come into its own. You know, so I've met some great ones, of course, and I've met some weird ones. But uh, at the moment, these doctors are great here. So I'm just taking this time to... To just you know get trained and to be honest with you have a, be able to finish the record uh, healthy and in in a good state of mind because you know that's an important thing to to yeah. to finish the record of yeah. because it's already been an amazing experience.
0: Well, um, I, and, and I want to ask you more about that in 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 a little bit though, yeah. But because but, uh, I mean, there's a there's a lot to talk about with that with the new record, but.
1: Well, I'm, we've got I'm, all that healthy
0: stuff out of the way. Let's get the, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm 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 glad you're I'm glad you're with me today. It's uh, you know, it, it it it's a thrill to talk to you again. Um, I don't know if you, were, you. I don't know if you are aware oh. of this, but of, of all the interviews that I've done, uh, on this podcast, the one that you and I did, uh, uh, I think it was a like last October. It is the third best performing podcast I've ever done, and yeah, and it's wow. and you're all o- and you're only behind. Andy Partridge and, uh, Daniel Ash from Bauhaus. And then it's you. Not, well, not too bad. So well done. That's
1: amazing. I'm, I'm very thrilled to be in that.
0: Uh, I'm not happy
1: to be behind Andy. I'm never happy to be behind Andy. <laughs> uh, it's always good
0: to be in front of Andy. Yeah. Well. Uh,
1: no, uh, that's amazing. You know, that's, that's brilliant.
0: So I'll take that. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. So the the last time that you and I actually had a chance to meet was the first time we had a chance to meet. And uh, yeah. that's when we met, I think, at one of the great concert venues in all the United States, uh, Rachel and Wayne's living room. <laughs>
1: Rachel and Wayne's living room. And to be honest with you, you know, it is a wonderful venue. But uh, what, what I remember, obviously, I remember everything about it, of course. But meeting yourself <laughs> for the first time, meeting some other people for the first time. Yeah. Which I've known for a long time online. But also, he he had... You had the tour installment of Get Back Ready to Go. And when I traveled to America, uh, I was literally able to see the Force 2 mm-hmm. go on go onto the streaming platform because I left on the tour day of the tour, you know, the, the rooftop one. And I was like, that's A, one of the most exciting pieces of any rock and roll footage I've ever seen. It probably is the greatest footage yeah. I've ever seen. It is the greatest footage I've ever seen. The whole thing is, but the tour installment uh, on the roof is just off the scale. And I was so desperate to watch it, you know, comfortable with the headphones. And <laughs> he had it ready to go on his huge television. And I went, hold on a minute. <laughs> before
0: I said hello to anybody, I was like,
1: don't play that. <laughs> you,
0: see, you want to, You didn't want to be, have it ruined for you. You didn't want to see the breakup before the end of the uh, the film. I'm one of those weird people when it comes to that i mean i'll definitely watch anything after i've
1: watched it but uh the experience unless it's something you're going to see in a movie or a movie house or somewhere like that or a friend's place you know while hanging out but i was just like <sighs> <laughs> my headphones are at home and i'll be like cup of tea and i'll be wearing sweats yep well I, so, and I, uh, I
0: watched it i watched it too and i watched it before um before we got into to to that night, and uh, it was like, as I'm watching it unfold, and 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 seeing how they create, and and you know, just seem like you know, Paul McCartney just kind of like you know, fuck around with a guitar, and all of a sudden he comes up with, with the with a with a classic song. It's like, how does that good just, fine. how does that just happen like that? And the thing is, well, that is how a good deal of music is created.
1: Well, see, it wasn't. Uh... It sounds very ponzi, but I'll explain it because you know I'm not I'm just being honest. But what was amazing was to see the writing process of the Beatles happen. Yeah. Even even in a you know, even not as naturally as it would have earlier in the careers, because obviously there was cameras, but there were still moments when they created and created something brilliant and it was captured. So that's the magic of that. But that's exactly how. Right happen. happens. So if I sit down, it there's no difference to me sitting down. It's just it's just what comes out is the difference, you know. Uh, you know, Lucy, this guy with diamonds comes out for John Lennon, and some piece of shit comes out for me. <laughs> Which I mean, it's just it's it's different for for everybody in the in the fact of the results, but the process. If you are in any way professional, semi professional, whatever, that's the process. Yeah. You know. And it's great to see it. It's great for people to see that. Because a lot of people do ask who don't do music. They always do ask, how do you write a song? It's the main question, really, even I get. And I could just say now, well, just watch Get Back. You know, watch Paul McCartney starting up, Get Back. And yeah. watch how John Lennon, you know, says certain lyric bits, you know, about, you know, Tucson, Arizona and all this. Just watch how the lyrics flow. When people start thinking of the melody, and well, I think it's almost like a curriculum thing, isn't it? It's for it's for generations.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's an amazing film, but you know, I think you know the thing that that people misunderstand about the Beatles, and it's it's to me this is the most remarkable thing. Excuse me, everything they did happened within eight or nine years. I mean, to to produce that many great songs in a short period of time would never be allowed today. And then to think it's, to think about the progression they did from "Love Me Do" to to get back is I mean it, it's a, it's inconceivable that someone could progress with that lightning speed. I mean, you know, thank goodness they were allowed to. But to me, that's always been the amazing thing about the Beatles.
1: Yeah, I think
0: it, it's a it's a perfect point because I often think is it the modern world
1: that makes feel like time is extremely flippant and you know if you do sit on a phone for like a week looking at facebook and all these things time will just go by, and it will seem quick because you haven't done anything (laughs) and that's true in in the 60s when all this began really 50s 60s every second of every hour of every day every week every month every year was they couldn't pack enough in and that's what you hear about Bands, you know, we used to do 400 gigs a year. And but the great thing is, I still did that up to the 90s and 2000s. I played thousands of gigs. It was still there. Yeah. And it is, it is to me a, a tiny bit of the past about how we did live because up to literally when the internet boomed, I did do the same as what they did back then. <laughs> I played seven, eight gigs a week to survive, you know, just covers, gigs, everything, and all that kind of work ethic was... So life seemed to drag along Mm -hmm. for a long time, which is brilliant because you're still young, you can still do it, but then all of a sudden, it's like I've said it in the lyrics of uh, uh, I don't like it, but I got to do it, which is on Olympus Sound. Uh, Life is glue until it turns to ice uh you know laugh is glue until it turns to ash <laughs> yeah so it's like and you won't see the science that's the kind of lyrics yeah. so you're kind of going along stuck but having fun and then all of a sudden you know you hit the ice and all of a sudden you're 30 years down the line 20 years down the line and in fairness it's coincided with the internet which makes days go by in a flash so the seven eight years beatles thing is absolutely incredible to our minds because we know modern life. But back then they lived every second of it. And I mean, they went backwards and they were fucking blown out and they They did drugs and they drank and they did everything that people do when they go through that pressure. Cause that's what I did. Even on my level, you know, there's that pressure. Yeah. So I understand. And it's like, you know, think about it. My Silver Lake album, by the time the new one comes out, it'll be almost the entire Beatles' career gap. Jeez, you know, yeah, yeah. like six, it'll be six years. <laughs> so if you go from six, if you go from sixty-three when they start, say summer sixty-three when it was all really happening in England and Europe, to summer sixty-nine. You have
0: Abbey Road, and that's it. You know,
1: amazing. So, yeah, it's
0: incredible. Absolutely incredible. So when we were at the, at, the, at Rachel and Wayne's house. Yes. Yeah. You know, to me, it's a one. It's I'd it, you know, I, I say it's a great uh, concert venue. But there's something so awesome about that kind of show. You know, if you're a fan yeah. of a particular artist, you'd never, you never really get the sense that even in a smaller theater that there's an intimacy or there's a familiarity with the individual you just hear the music. Mm-hmm. But it was it was so special to be able to to get a chance to meet you and then to to be given. We were given front row seats. I, my wife and I were. I remember <laughs> well. I know
1: exactly where you were sitting. You were sitting to the right of me.
0: Yep.
1: Down the end. And I remember the, this chap I'd have seen a few times up the far end. And, <laughs> and people were in the middle. Like, you know, Kathy was in the kitchen, of course, drinking wine. Yep. Having a ball. Because she did all the hard work. So, uh, yeah, it was it was magical. And that was a lovely spot,
0: Yeah. you know, to do it and you, and you, and the thing about uh, about it is you know when if you if you were going everybody there was familiar with your music but i don't think everybody had a full appreciation everybody could possibly have a full appreciation of you know these great songs that we've been listening to were actually made by a human being <laughs> you know it's like you listen to a record you just you just hear the music you don't you don't hear yeah. or feel the 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 presence of of the, of the man or the woman who is producing this music and and yeah. and i and i think that's the thing that i really i really got out of that is it's like this is a this was a really important night for us one you one you, you sang you sang our wedding song uh you, you know uh that night which was yeah great and was, then
1: hold on let me think let me remember was a your wedding song was it, it's one that i don't think should be a wedding song i think
0: lucky lucky in every way Lucky in every way. Well, yep.
1: it's a it's a it is a cool wedding song really, but it's sorry, it's one I don't normally do. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. But and it, that's why I was having trouble remembering that. I was like, but I really like it. The problem oh no, I won't get into musical things. Uh because it's just it, it's almost for an acoustic guitar song. It's it's slightly uh repetitive for me. It's weird because there's lots of things going on in the song, which I can't really play on the acoustic, it's just strumming the chords. Well, if, to be honest with you, I did it on the last trip just recently to the West Coast, and it's really good. You know, I should just
0: play it more. You know, it's, it's a, it, it, does it work. I think the meaning behind the song is what really captures. I mean, we love the song. You have better songs, but uh, but the meaning behind the song was really you know what what I, yeah. I think moved us. It's like cause we both felt that way. So, by the way, my wife says hello, uh, hello, and, and hopes you feel better. Uh, real soon. Well, thank you so much. Yes. Well, I'll tell you to go back
1: to the to the the house gigs and that whole thing. Uh, for me, there's there's no way back now. For yeah. me, as an artist, as an artist who's not like you know Mick Jagger, even. Do you know what I mean? Jumping around the stage because <laughs> I've never been that way anyway. But as an artist who's a bit infirm and you know other bits and bobs uh it's it's a godsend but it's also it's also really enjoyable because you're not just going because i've gone to so i've I've traveled far and wide to go to a a windy dingy club and play to 50 100 people even and it's just been miserable yeah and found on the people and you have to uh do we have this? Do you have that? Fuck off. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Can we have water? Can we have water? No. You know, water. Yeah. <laughs> so, water. Is for people who don't understand. But, um, you know, so, to go into a house where there's a fucking, you know, a buffet and <laughs> cakes and tea and, you know, it's like, and there's still 50 or 100 people there. Yeah. That's, that's, I, I need to get paid. You know what I mean, I'm about to be honest with you, you know, we, Musicians like me, we just, you know, people say, oh, come to Idaho or something, you know, and I go, well, I'd fucking I'd love to. And then you go, well, we asked a few venues and you go, well, that's not how I'm going to come to Idaho. You know, <laughs> because I totally respect that the, the venue A has never heard of me. Four people have heard of me in Idaho probably. And we need to get those four people with another 25 friends and then just get me into a little house or a shed or a garage. And then I have a gig and I know. Yeah. And, And, you know, if everyone throws in 20
0: quid, I get paid, you know? I mean, I mean, think about this, you know, a a Paul McCartney, you know, a Roger Waters, you know, even, even, you know, the Rolling Stone, Mick Mick and Keith are are never going to have the ability to have that experience that you just did. I mean, how is Paul McCartney going to go into somebody's house?
1: Well, he tries. The one thing about Mackey is he does try. You know, he does the little gigs, doesn't he? He did the Frome gig. And the, the mad thing about the Frome gig recently, or Froome as people might know, but it is Frome. Mm-hmm. Because when I we played Frome many times because we've got great friends there. So we know the place really well. And it is a beautiful, beautiful town in England. And when he did the, the warm-up me gig there, I was like, that's brilliant. Because someone knows, you know, it's a great town. Well, I remember I said "from" and people shouted it's "from," and I was like, so I started singing <laughs> Fat Larry's band "from," you know. So that's how I always remember it. But it's funny because I think he said on the clip I saw McCartney, he said it's great to be in Frome or something. And then next of all, he's on the stage and he's like, "Hello, Frome." So somebody had told him. <laughs> but the point of it is, Macca still wants. He still knows the. The importance of those gigs. I mean there were still what 800, 900 people maybe in the venue. But Jesus Christ, it's Paul McCartney, you know, he'd yeah. get a million people anywhere. You get a million people to see him. I mean, so that's that's got to be the the smallest he can go, you know. Yeah. And so he still tries because he knows the he knows the fun of them and the benefits of them. Uh as so much as Classy was probably the greatest gig I've ever seen by anybody. Um, it's, it's still all plain to like just black, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm sure he loves to see the faces and, you know, he does. He loves that.
0: <laughs> so, uh, a few months ago, I, uh, I interviewed yes. Dave, I interviewed Dave Gregory from, uh, from XTC and um, absolutely one, just a, a, a real joy to talk to, just a wonderful, wonderful guy but uh
1: you can say the greatest guy you've ever talked to here while you're talking to me because
0: i totally agree he is yeah, he is just <laughs> like a, just a really nice down-to-earth uh guy and he was you know you know very open and, and 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 everything but what was yeah. what was what just was such a disappointment to me in that conversation we had nothing to do with him it's just like two or three weeks later I see you posting a video on Facebook, and there he is at Abbey Road Studios with you working on your record. And I said, oh, my God, I wish I had known that he was going to be working with you again because you've, you've worked with Dave so many times. And, I, and, yeah. I, and I, we, we didn't you know, talk about you, but, but, but very, very briefly, I would have spent another 10, 15 minutes just you know, talking to him about, about, about that. Tell me a, a, a little bit about your relationship with Dave. How did you get to know him?
1: Well, it was through a friend, a lovely friend of mine in Dublin, who I didn't know at the time, called Peter Fitzpatrick. Peter has a band called Circuit Tree, Mm -hmm. C-I-R-C-U-I-T, Tree. It's just him on his own. It's like Gary Newman meets, you know, Peter, basically. And he just does it at home. (laughs) And he's a great songwriter, and he wrote some great kind of beatly songs. And he was trying to be someone like me, in a way. He was trying to be a beatly, acoustic-y, performer around Dublin well, I went to see him a few times and I just I just thought yeah he's really talented but there's something else about this guy and I went to because I did loads of demos in Peter's in studio uh he's a major player head headwise for Microsoft he's an inventor he's a brilliant mm. guy so he has this great setup at home studio and so, stuff. so I did demos dating back to when I first got to know him through this which I'll, I'll get to but one day I went over and he said, oh, do you know what, I have these other demos I do, they're kind of like eighty synth demos. And he played some to me and I went, fuck's sake, man, that's, they are, that's you. You have to become this, because, you know, the, the songwriting thing with Beatley songs or whatever, your own kind of acoustic songs, they're cool, but they're just, they're just songs. You put, there's something incredibly soulful and personal about your to a real side, which is just synth side, because he's a lover of that since he was a kid. So he did. And I'm not saying it was me, but it's just, I did give him a little push, which I'm very happy about because he's done three albums now, I think. And he's re- and he's, he knows Martin Ware from Heaven 17, and mm-hmm. he got to know all the, the great synth guys, Vince Clark and all. So that's brilliant. But Peter's a huge XTC fan. And because he was working with a Microsoft, he got asked to, uh, Well, he didn't get asked. Yes, he did. He got asked to to supply some music for a new website Microsoft were putting out there, which was 2003 or four around that time. So websites were still a big, big thing. (laughs) So they they wanted some kind of a tune or a bit of music that was a bit different, a bit quirky, a bit more Microsoft, DreamWorks, whatever, you know, that kind of. Like Disney as well, thank God, with myself, which I have some fans in Disney. So they like to put in that kind of classic pop, don't they? Which is great for me. But, uh, but Peter said, you know, uh, because he loved XTC, he said, what about, if like, you know, get some money and go after Andy Partridge? And he said, yeah, yeah, that's cool. You know, I think Andy just won the Wonderfalls soundtrack or something. And, yeah. You know, that track. And, well, it was just Andy anyway. The knew album, him, of course. So Peter got the money. And so once money was involved, he could track him down and he did. And Andy agreed to meet with him, And he went to Andy's house because Peter was like filming everything and recording everything and sort of stuff, which he still has. I think and it's funny because from meeting Andy that day, Andy invited him to the Apple Venus string sessions at Abbey Road. Oh, wow. So by the way, I said 2003, 2004, uh, so that, so I met uh, Dave in 2003. Yes. So it was the 90s because Apple Venus is 2000, isn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah. 20 years ago, 99, 2000. Yeah. So in 98, I think they were in Abu Dhabi, doing the strings. So, yeah, that's where the timeline gets weird because <laughs> he'd known them for a few years. That's what it was. So, yeah. So he went to the Apple Venus sessions, filmed all the all the strings being done with Mike Bat and everything. And Peter was just there as beating Andy for one time. You know, but Andy's like that. That's the whole XTC are like that. They're very kind. Great to the fans. But when, he, when Peter heard my music, because I released my first album in 99, he really liked it. And, you know, he got in touch, I think, on MySpace and said, I really like your stuff. and uh, It's very XTC. And I'm a big XTC fan. Didn't say and yeah, Right. We just got to know each other just got to know each other. And then one day when I he told me he'd met Andy and all this stuff, I said to him, look, at, on this tour the album we're doing, Jollity, there's money involved for the first time. <laughs> and how amazing would it be to get Dave Gregory to do a string arrangement? Because Dave was there, George Martin, you know? Right. Uh, you know, of that era. Uh, because of Thousand Umbrellas, simply. And the fact that when you hear that song as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old, you know, you piss yourself if you're a Beatles fan,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the oh, yeah. Beatles have gone, and you hear that, and you go, you know, even <laughs> even more than hearing, say, look at me now, by ELO, where, you know, it was all cellos and Roy Wood and stuff, which is amazing, but this was even another dimension. You know, this was just the chords, what the fuck, what? <laughs> so, that was the beauty of see they could make it, they could make you love the music by the fact that they were classic pop, but there were also so many other things. So I I said to Peter, he said, Look, let me let me inquire about that. So he got in touch with Dave, and Dave was like, Oh, look, I get these kind of requests a fair bit. And this is the true mark of the man. He says, If I don't like the song or the music, I just won't do it. So even if Dave, who I know, has struggled a lot of his life, sure. because you know he's a genius and a, one of the greatest guitar players England has ever produced and arranges. Never given the credit for that with all these guitar player fucking magazines. But that's he struggles. And so if someone was saying I'll give you two grand or mm. a grand like 20 odd years ago to do a session, you'd just say you'd do it, wouldn't you? Some people you know, would, yeah. They, <laughs> most people they they would. Dave was like, no, I'd have to like the song and all. It's fucking great. So I was like, fuck you know so anyway the brilliant news was that peter got back and said dave loves the song and it was rose in the garden of weeds i sense which in fairness you know it's a nice little song it's not it's spectacular but uh i think Dave, you know like george martin he saw something else you know mm-hmm. he saw you know he saw there was something there which is really really nice but is and there... he ended up doing lots on that album you know
0: yeah and the arrangement of that song is really is really beautiful. Really, its it, incredible. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. The section quartet as well, getting to do that with them in Abbey Road with Dave. So as you said, it was almost twenty years later, fifteen years later, maybe oh no, nearly twenty years later. We came back and just did a recent session. So special.
0: Yeah. See, I, I know this was not. I want to talk about you, the the new album. I know this is not your first time in, at Abbey Road, but is this? Did you record the whole thing there? No, uh, we.
1: This is the great thing about the album. We did it in this marvelous, incredible studio. It, just say, you know, Josh Holm listen to this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny because I have a, I have a, I could have met Josh a few times because he's a friend of my great friend of Matt Berry's. So I nearly met him a few times. But if somebody like him was listening to this. And he was going, I wouldn't mind going somewhere different to record in the world. And you know, you always go to like a major city or somewhere, a well-known place, but this studio in the mountains of like Drogheda in Ireland,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Black, Black Mountain Studios, it's an absolute gold mine of a place. It's just so beautiful. And it's such an incredible place to record. Equipment is amazing. Engineers are incredible. View is amazing. <laughs> Rates are incredibly good, you know, considering. Uh, so that was it when I when I found that place through another friend of mine who I did a session for Tommy Keys, uh, just before lockdown. Yeah. When I went up, there was a guy in engineering his record called Mick Heffernan, who I worked with when he was at an 18, 19-year-old on a pugwash session about 15 years ago uh, in Dublin, in Sun Studios in Dublin. And I remember me and Tosh, we were doing better that we dance or yin-yang or something, some of those extra tracks around Olympus Sound. And I remember saying to Tosh, this guy is fucking brilliant. He's brilliant. Look at him. You know, so good. And we were like, yeah, he's fucking, he's top-notching. I didn't stay in touch with him at all, really, but I had his number or whatever to wipe in. But literally walked into that studio in 2020, February 2020. There he was at the desk, and I went, holy shit. (laughs) And I just watched him for the next six, seven hours, working on Tommy's album with me doing the overdubs. And I went, okay, it's this studio, and it's that engineer
0: for the next
1: one. And it was, and 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 I was right because the studio has been incredible. Mick has been incredible. So, um, but of course, as I, as I mentioned last night, I was online for a bit, giving some update. But uh, it's like the the world has gone crazy. Yeah, you know, prices of everything. Yeah, and everything has gone. So even things changed during the during the, the the making of this record, and and the money just went sh- out of there because the Abbey set up. Uh, was penciled in as part of the budget and it was really quite affordable in the end even though again some beautiful people contribute to make it happen and i gladly got them there on the day so they had a an amazing time but you know that kind of that way of making records it's just it's my future anyway yeah it's been my future since it's been my future since after olympus sound probably you know
0: yeah uh, it, it's it's interesting how many people are doing that. You know, crowdsourcing. You know the the expense yeah. of it. I mean, I, to me, you know, if you're if you're not, you know, a, a gigantic box office draw, is there really any other way to do it? I mean, it, no. it's so it's, it's so expensive to do it. I think there's no other way.
1: This is the thing. I really want to say this to people and hope it's not like sympathy or I just hope you understand, but. <laughs> It, it costs if you want to make a good record if you want to make a record that's right in every way as in the person who wrote it and wants to release it has to be comfortable in their head it's not like an egomaniac thing but it's easily going to cost you 30 to 50 grand it is now at my age in the sphere that i'm in now people say oh fuck up this band i know made a record for 100 quid in a garage They brought in the equipment, of course Yes, of course If you want to make that kind of a record You make that kind of a record But even the Tame Impalas of this world have been, They've not been shown up For what's gone on But the whole spiel with that Was that it was made with the, In the guy's bedroom or in his hotel room mm-hmm. He did it all himself Now he did But good God, I, he had the most Incredible equipment, he had hundreds of grand behind him. He had big, he had people he could go to. He had comfort. And he made a great record. He's made great records and he's brilliant. So, but the thing is, they even wanted people to try and get on the bandwagon that this is like, this was made in the bedroom because it brings in idiots who think you can make it in the bedroom for a mm-hmm. hundred quid because you fucking can't. You can, but it's also going to be shit. So, you know, there's there's a level here that people don't like to talk about, which, of course, I'm talking about, so people will slang me. That's the way <laughs> my life seems to go. But I just want people to kind of understand it. It's it's like if you think you have 100 quid to go shopping and you want to get a week's worth of shopping in, you just know there's no way you're going to get three days worth of shopping for 100 quid. It's going to be 250 quid. It's going to be 300 quid, whatever. But that's the same at recording you you could go with a budget and it's going to be double it. Yeah. And I went with 20 or so this time, and I knew I'd need more and I should have just, but I felt bad going to people again, because, you know, I've had a few things happen the last few years and people have been so kind. But I always have to, you know, go through a therapy session with (laughs) Katya or, you know, friends close to me about, you know, fundraising. And she, as an example, wouldn't be, she'd be the same as me. She'd be like, Oh, you can't go there again. And I go, I know, I know. So you have to, it's almost like somebody has to start it. And, and a lot of times they do. They just go, look, I've given you 500 quid to just, and you go, fucking hell. And then you go, okay, well, let's just see how it goes. And that's, I have to get over my Catholic Irish guilt. about well, giving.
0: Yeah, but it's, but like you say, though, I mean, it's, it's just part of your business. I mean that—that's it's just you may not be able to go to the same well over and over again, but every time yeah. you've done a crowdsourcing campaign to record something, or or to release something, people have responded, and it may not be the yeah. same. It may not be the same people, but it may be the same people if they're fans, no, they'll they'll, stu- they'll still support you. Yeah, there's a core base
1: there. I know them. I know every one of them. You know, a lot of times with faces, I wouldn't. So sometimes I've gone up to people. <laughs> you won't even notice, and I've gone. Hold on, and they go. When well, the person you talked to for ten years online, I'm like, yeah, but Jesus Christ, pictures and stuff. <laughs> Sometimes like the profile picture is a cat or something, and I'm expecting a cat to walk up, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, but that that that's the only thing I hate about that. But I do I do know every one of them, uh, and I love every one of them. And there's there's a core of 150 to 200 people who are always there. And that's amazing really because it means you can get music out to millions of people around the world. And it's almost like a cottage industry, you know. And it's like a, it's and I want to say as well that you know, it, talking about 40 grand and I don't have a pot to piss in. And I understand completely having to like raising 40 grand and just being able to pay the rent. it really doesn't make sense but the record industry the record business or whatever you want to call it has never ever made sense because it's artists trying to release their art, and it's a constant door bashing down doors to get it to some semblance of a place where people can hear it because again i'll say with other aspects of the art of the arts. There's like, if you paint something incredible, like Banksy just went out and painted on a wall. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's almost like, there you go, that was his kind of, oh, thanks very much. I'll get my cup of tea, Mike. Thank you so much. <laughs> Cheers. That's, uh, that's a lovely lady from Poland. Cheers. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it's like, always, I've always said it about snooker as a sport Mm -hmm. and about sport as an example of course you have to be incredibly talented that's the thing there's so many talented people in the music game that don't ever get you know we know this because our shelves the shelves behind you are full of bands you probably never made it at the time you know oh yeah and so if you're a snooker player and you get a maximum 147 break every time you play snooker no one can physically stop you getting to the top of that sport because you can do that now people say, oh, you can write a song. And I go, okay, well, then why do I sell fuck off? So, you know, when it comes to music and arts, it's about people having to accept it. It's about people having to take it into their hearts and minds, which is very tough anyway. But when that happens, you still have to prove to people in a business end, in, you know, a, a company end, in, in, you know, in this in the mechanism of the industry to get your stuff out there. So it's a it can be a soul destroying thing, but well, that's why money speaks because money speaks in every aspect of life, doesn't it? Yeah. Well,
0: and and, and most artists, you know, whether it's music or you know, you know, graphic arts or even publishing, yeah. I mean, it, it, they're not necessarily trained business people. But in in, in no, a, in a sense, the, the only thing you can do to make a living is to is to learn that skill pretty damn fast because. Yeah, it's it's either you embrace that or you're starving to death. Yeah, and
1: and and it, I, I I've told the story a few times. I haven't told it, really, you know, online and such. But I've told it to friends. But like the Idol Race, right? That great '60s band, Jeff Lynn's sports band, really. You know, sports real band. Hold on, I'm gonna have a biscuit. Sure, go ahead. And. um... <laughs> They released EMI released the Back to the Story double CD set of their career in the '90s, which was brilliant. And the first four tracks um, on the CD were these impossibly hard to find. Uh, first two singles that they released as the Night Riders
0: mm-hmm.
1: on Polydor in 1966. One is called "It's Only the Dog." and Your Friend, would you believe, which is the title of one of my songs, I never knew, uh, on the on the flip side, as they say in American, um, and that was released on Polydor, Hen's Teeth to find it. I eventually found it after 20 odd years, so I was delighted with that. But the second single was a another track. can't remember the title offhand, which is me. but um, it didn't come out. It got to the test, either test-pressing stage or it may have got a, an official pressing book it's absolutely impossible to find. Don't even seen one online. and um, So it was great for fans to get these two singles, A and B. So in, in fairness, because the rest of the compilation was the two albums they released, the three albums they released, two with Jeff, one without Jeff, and all the various singles and some outtakes, it really was up there as a highlight of the whole set because it was stuff that really has never come out. So fast forward then, EMI want to reissue it because it's selling for 300-400 quid on eBay which mm-hmm. it was doing so they come to reissue it like in early twenty, in the early noughties maybe around that time
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they suddenly find out that in the interim uh, this spotty little solicitor businessman has acquired through probably buying a, a, hum- a humidor or something or somebody's house, he suddenly acquired the rights for the four tracks on the Polydor release of the Night Riders. And of course, the minute he heard this spotty little oik, heard that, you know, Jeff Lane, he's thinking, oh, Jeff Lynn, Travelling Wheelways, The Beatles, Tom Petty, you know, these are worth money. Well, no, they're worth a lot of people because we love them, but monetarily, they're not something that's kind of, you know, to Britney Spears Nelson, John, is it? Yeah. So, he, he demands a ridiculous price for EMI to use them on the reissue. And EMI have to go ahead and reissue the CD set without the four tracks. And in a long, drawn-out <laughs> way, Mike, that you'll have to edit, that just shows you people who don't understand music and what it's about who are running it. That's
0: simple as that. And it, yeah, I've heard that time and time again. It's like you know, the, the the record industry is run by people who have no idea what music is and don't know what yeah. what good, what a good song would be if they, if you bludgeoned them in the head with it. It just it's just you know they're they are what we would call you know bean counters. They're just they're just there to yeah. count the count the cash and 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 that's it.
1: Which is and if you, I'm just saying, if you were the head of the electrical supply board and you'd never wear the plug, you really could not get that top position. Now, the funny thing is in modern life, because of people like Trump and all that, people are getting into positions of power by being idiots. Let's be honest. (laughs) So, you know, so, so he's, so someone like him being so powerful is making it look like it's okay for idiots to run things. So idiots are running countries. And the countries are attacking other countries. (laughs) And idiots are running companies. And companies are ripping off money from the people. So, you know, it's not very hard. The music industry has been a constant arsehole for a long time. It's true. You know, at least we know that. But, you know, everyone else now trying to be whitey-white and sparkly. And, you know, I'm okay. And I'm not. They're the worry. But uh, I'd love the music industry just to be overhauled. Because even the term industry
0: is horrible, you know. Yeah. But yeah, yes. Yeah, sorry, you were saying, Mike. So, with this next next record, and, and I've yeah. already and I've already seen you you say online that you think it might just be the best thing you've ever done, and uh, <laughs> and I, and I'm going to have to take it's your cliche, word. But it's a good cliche. Well, maybe, but uh, you know, I'll, I'm going to take your word for it. Um. So once this thing is finally done and, and it and it's all been mixed and and ready to go out, I think you know, spring of 2023 whatever it's going to be at some point you have to distribute this and get it heard, which is like an, it's one thing to record and have something produced at, but the next level is you got to get it out there so people can hear it. Are you, I mean, as a guy who's kind of running his own show, how, how are you planning on, on doing that? What, what is, what's the, uh, you know, what's the process of, of getting it out? Well, uh, you know, I
1: do have some great friends over the years um, in the business, but these people have been incredibly good to me and helped me a lot. And sometimes, again, you kind of go, well, you know, do I go there or do I whatever? But lodgings have been a great company for me because they're great people uh, and they love music and they're honest and they're kind and they're fair. And that's a real rarity in this day and age. But but they're having, you know, like anybody else, especially with an, an independent record will Say in these modern times, they're having a lot of difficulties, and they're having, you know, some personal things, you know, with life and stuff. You know, it's just like all of us, really. But so it's it's tough. I've spoken to them, and they really want to release it, and hopefully they will, which would be Europe, you know, and all parts. But it's been so difficult to speak to them the last while for various reasons that it's still, the balls are still in the air. Yeah. You know, so, so that's, that's my go-to position for them. And they have the first choice really, because I'm, I'm loyal to them and I, I love them. So, but you know, if that didn't happen, I released a compilation on Sony Japan uh, in 2019, which was a kind of a 20th anniversary kind of introduction for to Japan. And it was brilliant. It was, Done by a legendary guy over there, uh, Tetsuya uh, Shiroki, His name is pardon the pronunciation, but um, well, he seems to have fallen off the radar, and I, I and it's like he's not that kind of person. He's an incredibly attentive and brilliant guy, but I've sent some emails the last year or so, and maybe he's just moved on. Yeah, and because of the the language barrier, in a way, you know, maybe just those emails are getting. Yeah, they're called to spam or something or whatever, they might just not be getting through. <laughs> so there's things like that because he'd be great. I really want him to release a Japanese edition anyway. And I have done a couple of extra tracks uh that I'd love to think could be on the Japanese, but so that's kind of where I am. But I do have there's some really genuinely great people running some lovely record labels. Um, but also on the other hand, someone like Sugar Bush in England who've been reissuing my Final, mm-hmm. uh, Marcus only told me last week that he shut the label, which is really sad,
0: mm.
1: you know, because Marcus only ever released brilliant music. And I'm, I'm saying this because of the bands that were on it, not just myself, you know, but. And the quality was excellent, and he was great to work for. And again, he was decent and kind. And I hate hearing people like that going under, because, but it's not so much going under, it's done him well. But he just has a record shop now in his hometown, mm. uh, Sugarbush Records. And it's a great shop. And he, he's, he's just suddenly going, wow, this is a success, you know. So he's going to shut down. The, it's like Andy with Ape as well, you know. Ape was successful. And then the big crash hit in 2008. And it's like he had to get rid of everybody. And he didn't get rid of Pugwash actually, uh, initially. But we had to go in the end. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing, you know, the good people out there, they will find it a lot harder. And that's a sad thing. But as regards me with this record, Lojinks, hopefully, possible Sony involvement and maybe some Indian America that I haven't touched yet. So maybe this could be my moment <laughs> to give my TV <laughs> out to anyone in America with a, with a cool label um, who might be interested in releasing the next Bulgush album. Because Lojinks don't release in America anyway. So America would be a separate market. So, and it is my best
0: market. So, well, I, I, you can you can guarantee that uh, that I'll be paying for it. I there's no there's no way I'm going to let uh, your know, pugwash number eight go uh, unbought.
1: So can, so can you stick twenty grand in me PayPal after
0: <laughs> this one? <month? laughs> if if I had it, I would give it to you. I would absolutely give it to you. I, 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 I can't I, thought, uh, I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, you know, I've become such a big fan. You know, over uh, over just a, a a brief number of years, really. And uh, yeah, I think I I've I told you before. The well, only you've been there a few years now. Have you have been there ten yeah, years. Now? Yeah, yeah, pro- probably a good ten years. But it's like, uh, you know, I I keep looking for you know available affordable versions of almond tea. And one of these days, I'm going to find it. But I've gotten everything else, including a couple cool. of signs signed uh, vinyl uh releases from you Frank yeah. Jolly and you know, the eleven uh the eleven one too. So I'm I'm just I just so just, just yeah, just to bore people now,
1: what what do you really want of the collection that you're missing? Because when I talk to people and suddenly I go home mm-hmm. and I pick out a box and I find something if they're in my head, you know, fresh, I go, okay, they can have that because I've just found that. So, so what is it you're looking for? The original the,
0: the first record is the only one I don't have.
1: On CD. Obviously, because it's only released on CD. Yeah. Initially.
0: Yeah. That's the only one I yeah. don't own. So you have the vinyl? Actually, I don't have the vinyl. I, I wind up uh buying a download that you provided uh a while back. And so I So, so when
1: I, I was when I was in the house, it
0: was in Wayne and Rachel's house. Did I not have
1: vinyl tea on vinyl there?
0: No, you had um well, you actually, okay. You had uh, let me show you. Got you Jollity, and signed. Yes. And uh, and eleven uh, eleven antiquities. Antiquities. Yeah. So I got that, and then I got uh, I got everything else. And the the the, the one the, the jewel for me was was finding Olympus Sound. That was that was a big one for me. And I also found Almanac too. So I'm not afraid oh, to. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm not. I'm not afraid to dig down deep for for uh, for Thomas Walsh. That's for damn sure. But uh,
1: well, but that's- thanks, Mike. The funny, the funny thing is, it's about it's. You reminded me again about this ridiculous situation with the Olympus Sound in America because it's not on Spotify or iTunes or uh, Apple Music. And and when I sit at home and I click on all those platforms, of course it's there. Yeah. But what happened was, it was put up by EMI in 2011. So for some reason, obviously with an EMI legal situation, since they've finished as a company in Ireland and all that stuff, uh, they just didn't have the license or whatever it was for it to be on the platforms in America. But I didn't know this because again, I just sit down and I see it on the lists. So I think American people could see it and whatever else, but I've since found out that it's not there for Americans and (laughs) <laughs> it's simply because I know what happened. It was uploaded by a separate entity, and I can upload now, obviously through DistroKid, which is fantastic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I have to, and um, being in the hospital now and having my phone and stuff, I'll be able to upload it to iTunes tonight. So oh, good. it'll take a, it'll take a couple of days, but I'm gonna upload it because on the last trip I just did, so many people were saying can't get the Olympus Sound. And I had two copies in a box. So I brought the last two copies, two, <laughs> two orange vinyl copies. Uh, and they were, they literally were gone. The first second, Andy opened the box at the first gig. And then somebody heard, because I, I said over the mic, at one of the gig, the first gig, I said, I have a couple of copies of Olympus Sound here, but that's all. <clears throat> and Andy said, they're sold. They're gone. <laughs> so, that was the jokey thing, but the next gig, people <laughs> coming up going, "You said online that you had Olympus sounds." I was like, "Oh shit, no, I don't." <laughs> <laughs> well, because it, and, and I was wondering what the, I was wondering why people were asking, and then they said because it's not available online. So I, I'll
0: I'll change that to no. Well, I it's one of it's one of my favorite of the Pugwash records, and I got I got that one right here. It's it's one of it's oh. one of my favorites in, in the whole catalog. Uh, it, Thanks, man. So freaking brilliant, so so damn. Is that great. the
1: lumpy? Is that the lumpy cover you have there? Is that the one it, with the? Yep, it's the lumpy
0: cover. Yep. So you have the original Irish edition. Yeah, this one, uh, this was not uh, not inexpensive, but uh... no, no, you can pick it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah but, absolutely. It
1: was... but the the Lowjinx one has the extra tracks.
0: Yeah, which is the UK one. Yeah, well, yeah, and um, and like the extra track on on Silver, like deeper, deeper. I think is such a great song too it's like one of those hidden gems if someone has the ability to, to to hear that song it's so well, do good you wanna, do you want to hear a good story sure absolutely
1: it, it really isn't a good story but it's a story <laughs> somebody said to me last week uh, i really like that deeper deeper track and i was like oh okay thanks very much and since that day and now I've been trying to remember how it goes and I don't know how it goes. I don't, I do not, I know it goes deep, it goes deeper, deeper. That's all I can remember. And it has this beat, which is like, you know, whatever. So I tried to do a psychedelic beat. I can't remember the melody of the fucking sound. So, because so, the thing was, we really did that quick, myself and Jason, uh, and we knew it would be an extra track kind of thing. And Jason plays great stuff on it, obviously, and but it was it was almost only Like in the last six hours of the trip to LA to do the album, and it was one of those things where, and it's not on YouTube. I don't think. Yeah. That's the thing. No. And I don't think it's on iTunes. You think anyway, either. Maybe I, I it, it, it is. So I don't know. But.
0: It was only available uh, the only available on the CD, as far as I as far as I have ever seen. And it's 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 yeah. it's, it's a great song on the, on that record. They're all great. But oh, love that one. Thanks. Yeah.
1: But I just have to, I have to literally go into my Dropbox uh, archive and just find the fucking thing so I can relax. <laughs> because I'm like, how does it fucking go? So uh, I'm going to, um, I'm going to, there's a couple of things I have to do now while I have the time on my hands. Sitting in the hospital. And uh, reacquaint myself with one of my songs. <laughs> you and should, You should uh, really. And live the sound onto, onto iTunes. You, you
0: should really introduce yourself to the music of Thomas Walsh. <laughs> yeah and like I did I did. We Are Everywhere
1: as a specific request for the guy in San Francisco I played recently We Are Everywhere is the last track on Play This Intimately and it was a a favourite of Jeff Lynn's, which I hadn't really told that story I've told every other fucking Jeff Lynn story but uh, (laughs) I didn't tell that one but uh, yeah he said he really loved it he thought it was really psychedelic and so he still has a bit of psychedelic in him Jeff you know yeah, which is great to hear. But this guy asked me to play it, and I, again, I had to listen to it three or four times to even understand where the chords were going, because I'd really I'd never done that live. And I played it then. I just, I'd just i only listened, as I said, about four or five times. So I went for at the gig, and it was really cool. It actually worked. <laughs> so I think I should just have a bit more respect for my own fucking songs. <laughs> that's what it is, man. You know sometimes i go oh, that's not gonna work and then i convince myself it won't work but if i just gave it five minutes of <laughs> of time of care of love i could fucking do it you know that's all it is i'm just a lazy fucker
0: really. <laughs> hey listen i i know we don't have a whole lot of time here but uh it's such a pleasure to see you again and i can't wait for the uh, the next record pugwash eight i did i I'm so excited for it. I'm so excited for you. I hope it winds up being a real success for you. Thanks, man. Because you really, truly well, deserve it.
1: Well, I'm really, thank you so much. I mean, it, it's really nice to talk to you, obviously, to break up the, you know, which can be stressful anyway, being sitting around in hospitals up waiting for things to be done. But it, regardless of that, um, the process of making this one was really fun. A lot of the old crew, you know, the original crew, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. Colm Quirney, Keith Farrell, Graham Hopkins, Grey friends uh, go back to the start, especially Keith and Column. So it just, so there's a sound, it's almost like a Pugwa sound there. That's what's kind of excited me, that there's the element of the old records coming into the newer, you know, buzz, newer songs. So I'm very excited by it, but um, it's just typically, Record, I'm in record mode, which is like everything <laughs> is flying around, and I have to grab something at one point, like a tornado. So I will grab, okay, artwork. Oh, shit, I have to do that. Uh, <laughs> lyrics. Oh, yeah, I have to write them down. You know, credits, mixing, mastery. Fucks, you know, it's, but the thing is, it all gets calm the closer to the end. Yeah. Calmness comes, and sometimes you jump out with the eye a bit, and you know, you have to fucking set your back. But um, I think I've used enough of the tornado metaphor for now, Mike. <laughs> I think that's it. But, uh, yes, yeah, so I'm really excited by it, and I hope it comes out even quicker than I think, uh, hopefully come out in winter 2023, you know, like because it's still January, February, isn't it? That's still right. winter time. Um, But, you know, I just I just want it to be done now because the hard part of writing them and Recording them and knowing that they work and they sound lovely and sound fantastic, so and um, that's exciting. But there's still a lot of hard work, but it's the fun hard work. And with the help of my brilliant, loyal fans like yourself and everyone else online, uh, we'll get there. So, yeah. but do you have enough content for a podcast? Because I've literally talked. <laughs> for twenty minutes about fucking I don't know. Microsoft. Oh,
0: I, I got pl- we got plenty here, Thomas. Don't worry. I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to cut anything out. There's there's nothing to cut out. Everything is perfect. Okay, cool. But I mean, if you have any more questions, you can throw them at me. But if it's done, we're done. I think we're I think we're good for now. We'll 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 do this again. I'm sure.
1: Well, you can have the special forced forced podcasty when album is about to be, and I can give you a little exclusive with track and all that stuff. So great, can't wait. So. You have me on you have me on record now saying that, so if anything else <laughs> weird
0: happens, I'm because I'm gonna dang. I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna text you like every month for the next several months just just to remind you of that. So perfect, <laughs> perfect. Hey Thomas, I hope so you... am people... on when I'm lying on a corny somewhere, <laughs> I get the text through, Mike. Where's that new single? Uh, <laughs> hey, hope you feel. Hope you get better. Get back on your feet soon.
1: Absolutely, man, I will indeed. Well, I get back on my feet now to get into the bed. <laughs>
0: I'd lie down and watch football. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty
1: soccer. good day. Sorry, soccer. That's soccer? all right.
0: I under I understood the reference. Thomas, okay, good to, good we'll to talk to you. Have a great day. We'll Love catch your up wife soon. And
1: everyone. Take care. Cheers, man.
0: The new Pugwash album, Pugwash Number Eight, will be released hopefully sometime in the spring of next year. And I'm pretty sure he was serious about coming back for more on the podcast. I hope you do too. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, like it, share it, review it. Do yourself a favor. Go out and search some Pugwash music for yourself. You will not be disappointed. You can email me at Bax at rock102.com. I'd love to know what you think. And thanks again for listening to Baxey's Musical Podcast.